The first response to the gifts of God, as we discussed in the previous session, is simply to see them, to be aware of them. But the general thanksgiving doesn't end there. Being aware of God's mercies and feeling internal gratitude for them, it's not the end of our response. We wouldn't be properly receiving the gifts of God if that's all we did. Genuine gratitude, as the prayer says, goes beyond simple awareness and expresses itself in the form of public praise. And the fact that it's public, that's important. Notice what the prayer says. Give us such an awareness of your mercies that with truly thankful hearts we may show forth your praise. You notice how the prayer describes praise? It doesn't just say that with truly thankful hearts we may feel gratitude or with truly thankful hearts we may praise you in our inner being. No, it says that with truly thankful hearts we may show forth your praise, which implies that praise is something that is meant to be seen and heard, meant to be witnessed by others. And in fact, when the Bible talks about praise, that's very much what it has in mind, something that is done publicly, something that is meant to be witnessed by others. You can see this in biblical psalms of praise. Take Psalm 22, for instance. It's a very typical example of, of songs of praise and thanksgiving. It begins by telling a story of something that God has done or that God will do. The psalmist talks about how he is crying out in a time of trouble and distress. And then later, he goes on to anticipate how God will redeem him, just as he has done in the past. And then the psalmist says, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. The psalmist doesn't vow to, to be grateful or simply to give thanks to God in the privacy of his own heart. He says that when God gives him the gift of redemption, he will respond by praising him in public, in the presence of others, in the midst of the congregation, as he puts it. Psalm 66 is very similar. This time, in Psalm 66, the psalmist isn't just anticipating what God will do. This time, he's He's celebrating and telling about what God has already done. And he's inviting others to join him in that celebration. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds toward the children of man. After that, he goes on to, to list a variety of God's deeds or God's gifts, you could say. Gifts of preservation, of blessing, of redemption and rescue. And then after describing some of those gifts, he says, Come and hear, all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. Because that's what praise is. And that's what the prayer is referring to when it talks about showing forth praise. Praise isn't just thanksgiving. It's not just adoration. It's not just celebration certainly includes that, but true praise is communal. It's meant to be seen and witnessed by others. True praise involves public celebration and public thanksgiving that invites others to join along. Klaus Westermann, 
who was one of the, the greatest scholars of the Psalms in the 20th century. He said, you can't really understand biblical praise or thanksgiving until you understand that necessarily public nature of it. You can't understand what the Bible means when it says give thanks until you realize that this call has only been truly heard by the one who, in addition to having a deep feeling of gratitude in his heart and to thanking God in private, also tells in public what God has done for him. And that's not just true of praise in the Bible. If you think about it, that's, that's just true in many aspects of life. C.S. Lewis said that when he first became a Christian, he was bothered by something he often heard from other Christians who implied that he had some sort of duty or obligation to praise God. I found a stumbling block, he said, in the demand so clamorously made by all religious people that we should praise God, still more the suggestion that God demanded it. After all, he says, whenever we encounter a person who seems to always be insisting that other people praise them, we find that incredibly off-putting. And surely God isn't so vain or so insecure that he just needs people to constantly be saying great things about him. But the more that Lewis thought about it, the more he realized really how natural praise is and how often we engage in it. It's just how people naturally respond to things they love and enjoy. They want to tell other people about them. They want other people to join in their enjoyment. I had never noticed, Lewis says, that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise unless shyness or the fear of boring others is deliberately brought in to check it. The world rings with praise, lovers praising their beloved, readers their favorite poet, walkers praising the countryside, players praising their favorite game, praise of weather, wines, dishes, actors, motors, horses, colleges, countries, children, flowers, mountains, rare stamps, even sometimes politicians or scholars. That's the reason that praise plays such a central role in the Bible and why Christians are so often exhorted in the Bible to praise God, not because God is insecure or because he somehow needs our public recognition, but simply because that is how people naturally and appropriately respond to things that are good and worthy of celebration. We sing their praises. We invite others to share in our enjoyment. And to do otherwise, to, to keep our thankfulness or our delight private, to say nothing about gifts that we've received, it wouldn't just be a failure to respond as adequately as we should, it would be a rejection of the gift altogether. But for the people of God, this response of public praise, it goes beyond even that. Because praise isn't just, it's not just a natural way that people respond to, to good things. Praise is the very purpose for which the people of God were created. The Russian Orthodox theologian, Alexander Shmeman, he, he once observed that all of the creatures that are named in the creation account in Genesis 1 and 2, of all of them, the human being 
is the only creature who is given the unique task of naming the animals. And that very act of naming, he said, is in fact an act of praise. Because to name a thing is to bless God for it and in it. When Adam was naming the animals, what he was doing was publicly acknowledging their goodness and blessing God for their creation. Doing the same thing that God did on the, the days of creation when he saw what he had made and said, it is good. And that, that act, Shmaman says, it gives us a clue to the very purpose of human life in the first place. We were made to bless God for the blessing of the world. The only natural reaction of man to whom God gave this blessed and sanctified world is to bless God in return, to thank him, to see the world as God sees it. And in this act of gratitude and adoration, to know, name, and possess the world. That was the original calling of the man and the woman that were created in Genesis. And it continues to remain the particular calling of the people of God. You remember what Moses says to Pharaoh when he comes to him and asks him to release the Israelites? He says, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to say to you, Let my people go so that they may worship me in the wilderness. Again and again, Moses repeats this phrase to Pharaoh, Let my people go. Why? So that they may worship me in the wilderness. And that's exactly what happens. When the people are finally liberated from Egypt, God brings them out to Sinai and he makes a covenant with them and he tells them, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples and you shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. A kingdom of priests. That was the calling God placed on the people of Israel. That was their mission, to be a nation of people who lived to show forth the goodness of their God. And in the New Testament, it's exactly the same language that's used to talk about the nature of the church and its calling. But you, Peter says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Peter quotes the words of God on Sinai almost verbatim, and he applies it directly to the early Christian church. You Christians, he says, you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. And what is your purpose? Why is it that God has created and redeemed you as a people? So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light, so that you might do what the psalmist talks about in Psalm 22 and publicly tell of his name in the midst of the congregation, so that you might respond in the way that, according to C.S. Lewis, is, is the natural fitting response of every person who has experienced something great and wonderful, and you might go around singing its praises. Why did God bring the people of Israel out of Egypt? Why has he rescued Christians from darkness and brought them into light? So that they might show forth his praise and invite others to join in their enjoyment and celebration. 
And did you notice, do you notice how the general thanksgiving describes this praise? It says that it is praise shown not only with our lips, but in our lives. Now, in the next two sessions, we'll explore a little more what this means. But for now, I'd just like to point out that the praise envisioned by this prayer, it doesn't just consist in speaking or singing, but in living in such a way that bears public witness to our gratitude for the goodness of God. In, in Deuteronomy chapter 4, Moses is reminding the Israelites how their lives must be lived in obedience to the God who has redeemed them and how, how their public behavior, it says something about the nature of that God. Keep the commands of God, he tells them, and do them for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the people's who when they hear all the statutes will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is near to us? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? In other words, Moses is saying that by keeping the commands of God, by living in the way God has instructed them, the people of Israel will be showing forth his praise. Because when the other nations around them look at them and witness their manner of life, they won't just admire the Israelites. They'll recognize how good and how great is their God. And Jesus says something very similar to this in his Sermon on the Mount. He says to his followers, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. In other words, make sure, Jesus is saying, make sure to show forth the praise of your Father, not only with your lips, but in your lives. Now, you might notice that up to now, I've been talking a lot about praise, but I haven't really said anything about Sunday worship which might seem a bit odd since for most Christians, that's primarily what we think of when we think of praise. Now, I hope that by what I've said, I hope my reason for not really focusing on Sunday worship so far is clear. Obviously, when we talk about showing forth God's praise with our lips and in our lives, this includes far more than the hour or two we spend in a weekly worship service. Public Praise is something that, something that should work its way into our homes and our workplaces, into conversations with friends and colleagues, into the way that we love and serve our neighbors. Showing forth praise, it includes far more than just attending weekly worship. But that doesn't mean that it includes less than weekly worship either. Now, over the past several years, as participation and attendance rates in church have declined across our country, you hear about it a lot. And I, I've been thinking about the question of why should a person attend public worship? After all, if the primary reason for going to church is just to hear a good sermon or listen to inspirational music, then why not just stay home and stream something online? Chances are, 
you could probably find a better quality sermon and better quality music on YouTube than in your local church. And if the primary reason for coming to public worship, if the primary reason for coming to church is just to make friends and foster relationships with other people in the church, well, why not just skip church and have a meal together? Isn't that more conducive to friendship than sitting in a worship service? I recognize that people attend church for a variety of reasons, and many of those reasons are very good. But why is it that Christians, since the very beginning of Christian history, why is it that Christians have felt a a need, this obligation to gather together on a weekly basis and engage in a service of public worship and thanksgiving and praise? I came across an interesting answer to that question in in a book that was written a little over 70 years ago by a liturgical scholar named Massey Shepherd. And Shepherd, Shepherd acknowledged that even in his own day, in the early 1950s, people had a variety of reasons for going to church. And many of those reasons had to do with some kind of need or some kind of benefit that they thought church met or provided. If it was good teaching or moral inspiration or a good influence on their kids. But then he said something that surprised me. He said that Christians are drawn to worship not only out of a sense of personal needs being met, but out of a sense of duty. Christians, he said, believe that worship is a duty owed to God. In the accepted etiquette of society, a man feels duty-bound to show gratitude for favors extended to him, especially when they have been given to him freely and undeservedly. Nor is such a duty in the least burdensome. So a Christian finds his highest pleasure in the fulfillment of his duty to praise the Lord and forget not all his benefits. That may not be the only reason that we come to church, but it is a reason that I think many Christians have forgotten and one we would do well to remember. Praise is not optional for the Christian. It's not simply for our own needs or inspiration, nor is praise simply personal, private gratitude and adoration. Praise is the public and the dutiful response that we owe to a God who has lavished us with gifts beyond comprehension. He has shown kindness to us. He has blessed us. Now let us show forth our praise.